what's the pattern amongst the folks that really love my stuff? Mm. And then once you have pattern starts to emerge in your customer base, then you say that that's what we're awesome at. Now we're going to narrow into that. We're going to niche right on that. And we're going to drive right on it and fill a pipeline full of these folks. And we're all going to get rich. Hi there, guys. Today, we are joined by April Dunford, all the way from Toronto in Canada. She is one of the world's leading experts on something called positioning, right? And she wrote this book called Obviously Awesome, How to Nail Product Positioning So Customers Get It, Buy It, and Love It. It's got incredible reviews all over Amazon. And in hindsight, now having just finished the interview, she is most definitely an expert in positioning. So I hope you are ready for quite a robust and interesting conversation that I do believe will make an incredible difference in your business, right? So positioning, what is it? Well, many of us don't actually know what the hell positioning is. So when do you position yourself and your business? And what goes into a positioning recipe that is repeatable in terms of creating a position that you can own? I think it's fair to say that in many of our cases, we just don't position ourselves whatsoever. And that's a real shame because as you are about to uncover and learn about, positioning has an incredible impact on businesses. So pay careful attention to the part of the show where she talks about Salesforce and Siebel and how Salesforce positioned themselves when they started out to then create traction, to cross the chasm and ultimately to create a a monopoly on CRM. So whether you're an entrepreneur, a marketer or salesperson struggling to bring inventive products to market, April's insights, I believe, will help you find your awesome so that your customers can too. So without further ado, into April Dunford. Oh my word, here we go. <laughs> so, if welcome everybody. <laughs> I know, right? It's just crazy. I'm recording locally, but here we go. So, anyway, guys, if you haven't caught on yet, uh, we are having a lot of fun here trying to pull off this show. We aren't live streaming this one. Uh, I am down in Durban, so away from the the bright Thank lights goodness. of yeah the bright <laughs> the bright lights of fiber internet. I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually in like Pennington, and I, I'm I'm not even kidding. Like the place we rented this whole house, and we're here for like f- six weeks. And um, funny story. So I'm at the, uh, the the tenant. She says to me, like, we've got the fastest internet in Pennington. I was like, well, that's great because you know, busy guy running businesses, whatever. Um, and, uh, so anyway, I get you and it's literally like the worst internet. <laughs> so, so we won't be live streaming this at all. <laughs> so anyway, but, oh. uh, but April Dunford, welcome to the show. Well, I'm really glad to be here. I, I think we've got this now. We're good. This we're good. Excellent it's, it's working. We know you and I were conversing. So that's the main thing. You know, <laughs> so uh, so we're going to be talking about um, your book. I'm going to just bring it up on screen screen here. Sorry, it's called Absolutely, or oh, sorry, obviously awesome. Rather, <laughs> um, how to nail yeah. product positioning so customers get it, buy it, and love it. So I'm very curious. I always ask this question, um, April. Why did you write this book? Like, what was the spark that went cool? This is a book I got to get out of me. Yeah. So, you know what? I've been thinking about writing this book for a long time, like maybe more than a decade. And so it comes from my experience as a marketer early in my career. When I I repositioned a product in my first ever marketing job, 
And it, it struck me that how weird it was that we know what positioning is. It's this fundamental marketing concept, but there's no positioning methodology. When I actually go to reposition a product, where's the handbook? Like, how do I do it? What's step one? What's step two? And it didn't exist. And I thought that was insane. <laughs> and over the course of, you know, 25 years being a repeat vice president of marketing at a bunch of different startups, I developed my own way of doing it. And, you know, when I when I switched over to do consulting, I thought this deserves to be written down in a book somewhere for all the poor suckers that are out there like me, like I was 20 years ago, trying to make this stuff out of th- up out of thin air. So that's where the idea for the book came from. It was actually, it came out of my own frustration that mm. I couldn't believe somebody hadn't written this already. Exactly, right? So I think if you've been, like I've been in marketing for a long, long time and um, positioning always comes up, right? And I think in many cases, to your point, it's, it's kind of misunderstood. So maybe we should start there. I mean, what is misunderstood about positioning in your experience? Yeah. Well, people often confuse positioning for the things we do with positioning once we have it. So it, messaging is the most is is the most common misperception. Positioning and messaging are the same thing or positioning and branding are the same thing. And they're not. Like I can't write messaging until I understand who the message is for and what's the message all about and who am I trying to beat out in the market and um it, I can't do branding until I understand well What's the brand all about? What's the value we're trying to communicate? And so positioning defines all of the things that you use to go do that. So you can think about it like if everything we do in marketing and sales is the house, positioning is the foundation upon which the house is built. But you have to have positioning first. So in in my definition, uh, positioning defines how your product is the best in the world at providing something that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. Now that sounds like a mouthful, but that's because it defines who your competitors are. It defines what makes you different. It defines the value you can deliver to customers. It defines what customers you're talking about. So who exactly are your best fit target customers? And then it also defines the market that you're positioning yourself in or the market that you intend to win. Mm, that's so great. It's so well said. Um, I've got this a statement in my mind that um, was recounted to me a while back, and maybe this resonates with you in the context of positioning. But it was positioning is about um, framing your scarcity and dictating your value. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's a good idea, right? Like positioning defines how like there's this uniqueness in your positioning, right? Mm. Why is your product uniquely qualified to do something that nothing else in the market can do? So that's one thing, right? So what are your differentiators? And importantly, what is your differentiated value? But then there's the flip side of that too, which is for who? Because it, it, value doesn't exist on its own. Value is in the eyes of customers. So you can't define differentiated value without also defining these are the people that actually care. And this is why this is differentiating value for them. So Mm. it does consist of a bunch of pieces. Okay. And um, how does one start resolving some of those questions? Because those are some big ones for who should I be for, you know, what stand should I take in the world and all these kind of things. And I think in many cases, you know, as uh, having founded many companies over the years, I think, uh, I've learned to find the courage to choose. And I think in many cases, entrepreneurs, they 
they have the courage, but they, they're not really prepared to choose. You know what I'm saying? Because they want to make money and they think, well, why should I choose these 10 customers right. over these thousands? You know what I mean? And they, yeah, you but, can just sell to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Right. Because you're trying to survive. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, let's, let's keep some food on the table. You know what I mean? So, um, so how do you get, right. what's the decision making process? Like, how do you work through this stuff? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Right. So, so I'll tell you how it works once your product's in market, and then I'll talk a bit about what happens if you're not in market yet. So if you're already in market and you're selling some stuff, um, interestingly, if you look at your customer base, there will be kind of two kinds of customers. There'll be the customers you've got that are raging fans, like the customers that are super happy. They love your stuff. Um, if you have a sales force, they're the people that were really easy to sell to. They closed quick. They didn't ask for a discount. They just intuitively seem to get it. Um, and then they, you know, they renew every year. They don't give you any hassle. They're not calling your support team and saying, Hey, could you just build these three things? And you're like, what? Nobody else wants those three things. Why are you asking me for that, buddy? Um, so you'll have those kind of customers. And then you'll have the customers that are frankly a bad fit. They picked you when they shouldn't have. They're, they're the people that are going to turn on you. They're the people that are like, you know what? I kind of was looking for this other thing and your thing was good enough and I'm using it. And no, no, no. So first step to doing good positioning is to understand group one. So who are these people that love your stuff? What are the, you know, let's look at just them, not the other people, because you know what? You probably should have never got lucky enough to sell them in the first place. And eventually you're going to lose them. But the folks that really, really love you, what you want is a pipeline full of people that look just like that. So you need to understand their buying process. So number one is, what were those folks doing before? So what did you displace? Like they had the problem before you showed up and they solved it in another way. What was that? And so that could be they were doing it with manual processes. It could be they were doing it with a spreadsheet or they hired an intern, or it could be that they had some other piece of software that just couldn't do what they needed it to do. But you need to understand, first of all, what's status quo in those accounts? And then secondly, when they did decide they needed something different, they went out and they looked for a solution and they found you. Did they look at other people too? And what were those things? Because you got to beat those two. So step one on this is to understand who your actual competitive alternatives are. That's step one. Best way to do that is to look at your happy customers and figure out what it is for them. And so that includes whatever status quo is and whatever else you had to beat in order to get the deal. 
That's number one. That defines competitive alternatives, first step to positioning. Once you have that, then the rest of it kind of flows. So uh, now I've got competitive alternatives. Now I can say, you know what? This is where I really got to be. So what does my offering have that the competitive alternatives don't? And this could be a giant list of things. Like when I do this, I'm a consultant now and I work with companies on this. And when we do this together, usually I fill whiteboards full of stuff. Here's all the features I've got that my competitors don't have or you can't do with a spreadsheet or you can't do with an intern. Here's all the things. That's step two, unique features. Step three is you look at those features and you map those features to value for the customer. So that's the answer to the question, like, so what for each of those features? So you got a 25 megapixel camera. So what? Uh, You have the ability to save profiles. So what? I've got this fancy AI, whatever thing. So what? And you map this to value for the customer's business. Well, I care that the camera has more megapixels because that allows me to take a better picture when it's zoomed in. And I need that to do print advertising. That's my so what, right? You have all these features and what that does is it makes it really easy to process an invoice. And what that means is I can process a thousand invoices in three clicks instead of two. That's saving me time. That's saving me money. That's the so what. Mm. So I need to be able to take those features, translate them to value. And customers can't remember 9,000 points of value. You need to theme that value out in no more than three value themes. This is a bottoms up way of figuring out what your value proposition is. So that's the third piece. Once you have that, then you can say, okay, here's my differentiated value that my offering delivers for customers. Who cares a lot about that? So you might say, I sell to small, medium businesses. Well, you know, there's a lot of small, medium businesses in the world and not everybody cares the same about your stuff. So if what you deliver, let's say, you know, I what I do is I make it really easy to process a whole bunch of invoices or to send out a whole bunch of invoices. Well, who cares a lot about that? Well, if I don't send a whole lot of invoices, I don't care. If I only do a couple in a month, I probably don't care. So who sends a whole lot of invoices? And you might look at that and say, oh, well, people with a lot of temporary workers, people with a lot of whatever. This is how you get down to an actual customer segmentation where you can say, I know exactly what a really good fit customer looks like, and I can focus my marketing and sales energy there. So that's the next piece, which is what is the definition of a customer that cares a lot about my differentiated value? The last piece of positioning is market category, which is, you know, am I email or am I live chat? Because let's face it, there's 90% feature overlap between those two things. But if I say I'm email, there's an expectation that I have, I don't know, calendar, for example. If I'm live chat, there's an ex- different expectations. I don't expect the, cal- the live chat to have a calendar, but I do expect live chat to do read receipts and other things. So positioning as my product, one versus the other, sets off a really different set of assumptions. So in order to figure out what my best market category is, I got to kind of look at, here's the differentiated value I can deliver. Here are the folks I'm trying to communicate it to. What's the best context to position my product within that makes this value obvious to these folks? That's the last piece. So that's how you do it. Great. And that concludes your time on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's 
That's it. In a nutshell, that's it. No problem. Put a bow on it. You're done. You're done. You did a fantastic job. That's all I really needed to know. Uh, congratulations. Um. There's a lot of gotchas in the middle of this process, but essentially, once you understand that there's five pieces, uh-huh. and then you understand that the five pieces relate to each other, then you realize you got to work through the five pieces in order. And the really important starting point is this competitive alternatives thing. If you nail that, you have a really good chance of everything downstream being a lot better. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, just so much I want to get into um, because I think it's come up on the show quite a few times where we've been talking about, I had uh, Miggy Agrawal on the show not too long ago. She's actually coming back on a couple of days. Um, and she was talking about um, you know entrepreneurs choosing to enter categories where there are lots of competitors. Um, and we also mm-hmm. spoke about the white space you know, about going, it's harder to own, become a king in your market, essentially, you know, like Salesforce, et cetera, et cetera, and many, many others. Um, but once you're there, you, you dominate, you eat up 80% of the, uh, the economics of that category. So then you talk about positioning, right. right? And so quite interested to get your view because I used to do a lot of strategy work for, um, for big FMCG uh, brands like Danone, as an example. And when we used to do competitor maps, it was like, you know, time of day, snack, morning, afternoon, and evening, and you would shift all the brands around like yogurts and all this kind of stuff, snackable foods and whatever. Right. And when you look at it, you're like, wow, that's ridiculous. Right. How, how do you create uh, like a point of difference to your point? Um, you know, in a market that's saturated <laughs> like that. Um, so I would like to maybe start there and then talk about category design, or maybe if you can maybe <laughs> link the two together. But um, how do you sure. how do you carve out that space? I know we've gone through the five step process, but I mean, is, in your experience, have you do you still do you subscribe to the idea that there's always space for another player? Um, as a case in New York, like when I was there uh, not too long ago, I was amazed. Like you just think Starbucks would own everything, but actually there's zillions of other like very successful coffee stores in new york right on manhattan island so right. it's like well how did they right. how, how like you know there's always another space for me any, anywhere in my experience so um is yeah. there is that true in your view and what is the role of positioning to help entrepreneurs carve out a space in a very saturated category well so here's the thing let's take let's take salesforce as an example because they're a great example so, so Salesforce has 18% of the CRM market, 18%. Who's got the rest? <laughs> Smattering of dozens of different companies, right? Yeah. So we think about Salesforce and be, oh my God, they're absolute category leader. They are, they have triple the market share of the number two brand in CRM. But is there a lot of room left for innovation and CRM? Yeah, yeah, there is. How did Salesforce get started? They weren't the first CRM. In fact, there was a giant CRM company that already existed. Two billion revenue, publicly traded. Fastest company to hit a billion in revenue ever. Unstoppable. Uh, Triple digit revenue growth for something like 18 quarters consecutively. Like, like. Huge, amazing. Are you talking about Siebel? And, and yeah, so, so th- this was Siebel when Salesforce was born. So Salesforce shows up, and what do they do? They positioned in the underserved piece of the market. So Siebel was enterprise CRM. They were only selling to the biggest of the big. They were selling to banks 
and insurance companies. I know because I ran marketing for banks and insurance companies, the banks and insurance companies section for Siebel, which was 800 million revenue, right? So we were selling to banks and insurance companies, big manufacturing plants and whatever, all in, we were doing 2 billion revenue, 9,000 employees. Salesforce shows up and says, well, there's no point selling to enterprise because we're going to kick their butt there. So where does Salesforce sell? Salesforce shows up and what they've got is a hosted platform. And so what's the value of a hosted platform? Well, one of the great things is I don't need an IT department to deploy it. So every other CRM in the market at the time was doing these big enterprise deployments. You had to get your IT guys involved. You had to integrate with all this stuff. It took you months to get it out, whatever. If, if you were a smaller company, uh, you're, you're like, I don't have an IT department. I don't have six months to deploy this stuff. Salesforce showed up and said, we're small, medium business CRM. That's what we are. When they first showed up, you could buy five licenses for free. And that was the thing, up to five people free. You're going to go beyond five people, or you, then you got to pay for licenses. So they came in and positioned themselves for a different buyer with a killer feature. And the killer feature was no software. I don't have to have an IT department to deploy that. Mm. And that's how they got a beachhead in the market. And so once they had that beachhead in the market, and we're over at Siebel, we're looking down at them going, we don't sell down there. We can't make any money down there. Like we sell great big $10 million enterprise deals. Like we don't care if you're selling 200 bucks worth of software there or 500 bucks worth of software there. And then now we fast forward. And what happened was one complete financial crisis. <laughs> all the big enterprises we were selling to at Siebel, I was gone by this point, but all the big enterprises that Siebel were selling to stop buying me because we're an absolute freeze on IT. Second thing that happened was the buying power shifted from IT to the lines of business, largely because they could because of the rise of SaaS. Mm. And so Salesforce was very well positioned coming up from the bottom to get, to get bigger deals, bigger deals, bigger deals, as it became more acceptable to do SaaS. Like back when they started, people were like, I'm not going to put my customer data on the cloud. That sounds too difficult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so eventually everyone was like, you know what? That's okay. It's actually not a security threat. It's fine. You can put it on the cloud. So things got better and better and better. Siebel self-destructed. So they, they, they killed themselves. So they didn't move fast enough to go down market when the high end of the market stopped buying. They had oversold into all the big accounts. They, and, and then they got acquired by Oracle. And was it Oracle bought them? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, Oracle bought them. And so that was kind of the end of that. Meanwhile, Salesforce was still going strong. And the enterprise CRM market all of a sudden looked a little bit wide open. So now what we see is Salesforce, you know, and they're still not firmly the number one. And in, in, when you get to very big enterprise, there's still a ton of what used to be Siebel, which is now Oracle. Like if you go into big banks, you still don't see a lot of Salesforce. If you go into big insurance companies, you still don't see a lot of Salesforce, but they're getting there. And so now they're up in there, but they, and they don't just do CRM anymore. So now they're like their CRM, their marketing, their, their service. They've got this whole cloud platform. It's a platform as a service. Like they've evolved in this totally different thing. Mm. But if you look at where they started, they were niche play in a market that was absolutely dominated by, an, by a clear category leader. This is the thing we forget. Almost every example 
of a company that you know now, that you think of as a category leader, started as a niche play in a market? Was Google the first search engine? No, there was a thousand search engines before them. Was Facebook the first social network? What about MySpace? Most of the folks that went out to create a category were unsuccessful in actually dominating that category later on. So what, what, we, do, what we like to do in tech is we like to go look at the big companies and say, I'm going to do that with my, with my startup. You know, look at Salesforce. They've got this category and they're all alone. It's a, it's a platform SaaS thingy. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to, I'm going to define, I'm going to, you know, architect this category and then own it. But if you look at how they actually got there, they didn't do that. That's not how they got there. <laughs> so what works for a very, very big company doesn't necessarily work for you when you're starting out. So that's the first thing. Um, so most of the time, it, it, like if I look at the companies where I, that I work with, so the companies I work with, they tend to be startups. They're selling to businesses. Um, and most of them are in crowded markets. Everybody's in a crowded market. There's, you know, there's not a lot of markets that aren't crowded unless it's truly emerging tech, right? So, you know, you can call the market something different, but it's crowded. Like your customers know it's crowded. They'll have other alternatives to look at. Even if the alternatives, you don't consider them your competitors, your customers do, right? So, so you're in a market, it's crowded. Here's the thing that matters. Customers pick you. Like if you're already in the market, you're making a million, couple million bucks, customers mm. are picking you. There's a thousand different other options, but they don't pick those other options. They pick you. Some customers do. So the trick is figuring out why do those customers pick you over all their other choices? Why do they pick you? And then can I architect my sales and marketing to make sure that I'm defining my market for that? Mm. Now, is that a new category or not? You know, in my opinion, it kind of doesn't matter whether you think it's a new category or not. You can make up a name and give it a name or whatever. It's easier to say, to, to, um, to describe what you do by starting with something that people already know. So th that could be niching out an existing category, or it could be you're defining a new category, but you're defining it using concepts from other categories. Let me give you an example. So there's a company that I work with uh, here in Canada. They're called ClearPath Robotics. They sell uh, uh, robots for manufacturing. They're, when they started out, they were positioning themselves as robots for manufacturing. So what these robots do is they drive around a manufacturing plant and they deliver things from one place to another. Now, the problem with that positioning is they went in to the, to the buyers and said, hey, we're ClearPath and we're gonna sell you some robots. And the buyers in a manufacturing plant are like, robots, man. Like we've been buying robots for decades. We know all about robots. We have approved robot vendors. You're not one of them. You guys seem like you're too expensive for robots. And they're like, well, no, we're different robots. We're different, different, different robots, special robots. <laughs> and so eventually they're like, okay, we can't be robots. It's too damn crowded. And when we say robot, Everybody makes a bunch of assumptions that aren't true about us. They think we're like a thing that picks up a roll of tape and puts it in a box. And instead, what we are is this masterpiece of, uh, you know, like a thing that drives around and it's full of sensing and sensors and mapping and artificial intelligence and all this other stuff. Mm. So what category could they position themselves in? that could take everything that's special about them, mobility, sensors, mapping, artificial intelligence, 
and make it obvious to the manufacturing people they're selling to that that's what they do. Because robots not doing that. So they stood back and said, okay, how do we contextualize this thing? And what they came up with is they said, you know what? What moves, drives around and has mapping and sensors and artificial intelligence? Maybe what we have here is a self-driving car. Mm -hmm. Maybe what we've invented is an autonomous vehicle for industrial uses. Now, that sets off a totally different set of assumptions in the minds of the buyers. Of course, it drives around. Of course, it's got mapping sensors and artificial intelligence. And of course, I don't buy that thing from the same vendor that I bought this thing that picks up a roll of tape and puts it in a box. I expect to pay more for that thing. All of a sudden, the thing is way more understandable. Now, is that category creation? No, it's not. Because what I did was I stole a concept from somewhere else. So technically, they're not creating a category of autonomous vehicles for industrial uses. What's autonomous vehicles? That category already exists. We know what an autonomous vehicle is. That's why it works. Now, if I came in and said, oh my gosh, uh, there's all these robots here and I need to be something that's different. So let's just make up a whole new category. So instead, what I've got is a flu flummer. Yep, that's it. What? Flu flummer. Right. That's what you're going to say. You're going to say, what? I have no idea what that is. And a lot of time when we're doing brand new category creation, that's what we're doing. We're making up a word for something or a phrase for something. And they're like, oh my gosh, our thing is so different and whatever. It's a flu flummer. And then customers say, what the heck is a flu flummer? And you say, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. And this is a really hard way to sell really hard way to sell because I'm going to have to spend significant time making the term flu flummer mean something in the market. And most startups don't have the funding and the runway to do that. Now, if you raised a hundred million in VC, maybe you can do it. So I'm not saying it never works, mm. but for the average startup, it's much easier to say, you know what? We're, we're like autonomous vehicles, except we're for a manufacturing plant. Ah, I know what that is. That's easy to figure out because I know what autonomous vehicle is and I know what a manufacturing plant is. And I put those things together and that's what it is. Same way uh, Salesforce comes into the market and says, we're CRM for small businesses. Easy. Hmm. So most companies in their early, early days, that's how they start. But later when they get big and they're starting to dominate their category, now you have an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to stretch the boundaries of this category now. It's not just about CRM. It's about, it's about everything. It's about having a whole platform for SaaS stuff. It's about, there's a lot of things in here. It's not just CRM anymore. If I'm Gainsight, another example that people talk about when they talk about category creation. Gainsight was just another survey tool. They were in the survey market, just like SurveyMonkey and everybody else, until they were 200 million revenue or so, and they're dominating that market. And then they said, you know what? I want to actually expand people's ideas of what you use a survey for. And so they, they created this concept, uh, customer engagement or something like that. I forget what it's called. I forget what it's called. Um, but they, you know, and then they came out and said, we're creating this new category, it's customer engagement. 
But what it actually was, was giving people, stretching people's ideas of where they could use surveys and why surveys were important and what you're going to do with surveys. And you can do that once you're big, because well, I'm already dominating surveys. You already know what I am. I do 200 million revenue here. Now what I'm doing is I'm trying to push into markets where I wasn't before. So I think there's a lot of room to get creative in how you define the boundaries of the category that you alone can serve. And so, you know, if that's what category design is, then that's exactly what you need to do. But that doesn't mean you need to come up with something that nobody's heard of before that's a brand new thing. In fact, I think that's a lousy way to design a category, Mm. if that makes sense. It does. Um, there's so much I want to get into uh, around uh, everything you just said. I think um, maybe let's, so basically the idea is how do you choose the best markets, if you like, for your products, right? right. So I think one of the one of the points you, you, you landed on, which we've done as a business, is that let the market dictate to you who your ideal customer is, as opposed to, well, I want to go for them. You know what I'm saying? So it's using real market right. data as opposed to what you think your ideal customer, you don't really know, right? Because you have to let the market determine what is your ideal customer, right? And so we did that um, as a company when we were just doing content, right? And then Mm -hmm. we looked at our customer base and 90% of them were technology companies. And then we said, cool, now we're only for tech. And then we connected to your point. We're good at this. Why don't we double down on that? Totally. And we connected to your point, the feature, right? Was now, you know, we came up with this idea called storytelling technology, storytelling for technology because they're crap at it usually um and then uh you know we went into the lead generation business and literally the moment that we niched down which is the second thing another thing you said uh it's like just game over game over like the revenues just exponential growth africa's best tech startup blah 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 um, exactly. and, and now we're kind of, you know, as a company, we're kind of, you know, diversifying again, which is actually where I wanted to go here because I've got a problem for mm. you and I'd love to get some free coaching. Um, <laughs> uh, sure. just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> well, one thing before we, before we move on to that, I'll tell you something mm. just because if you're sitting out there and you're listening to this and you're saying, well, how do I pick my market if I don't have any customers yet? And I'm trying to design what my offering is. Yeah. And, and here's how I think this works. You start with a positioning thesis, right? And so your positioning thesis is, I think these are my competitors. I think this is why my offering is different. Therefore, this is the value I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver to clients. And here's the kind of clients I think are going to love it. So I'm going to position it this way. But you put it out into the market. And, you know, I've done this. I've, I've launched 16 products. When I was a vice president of marketing, I launched 16 products into the market. Every single time we started with this positioning thesis and every single time we were kind of wrong, like not way off, but mm. kind of wrong. And, you know, and what I learned from that is at the beginning, it's okay to keep the positioning kind of loose yeah. and say, you know what, maybe we're for tech companies and, 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 and we're not going to tighten it up too much, but we have this thesis. And what we're trying to do is validate the thesis. We get it out and just get a bunch of customers using it. And then you're asking those customers all kinds of questions. And what you're looking for is what's the pattern amongst the folks that really love my stuff. Mm. And then once you that pattern starts to emerge in your customer base, then you say, that that's what we're awesome at now we're going to narrow into that we're going to niche right on that and we're going to drive right on it and fill a pipeline full of these folks 
and we're all going to get rich. That's how it happens, right? But at the beginning, you don't really know because you don't have any customers yet. You got to have a thesis. Otherwise, you know, you yeah. got a blank web page up there saying anything you want any for anybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got some kind of a thesis. But, but you should be aware of the fact that your thesis is likely wrong in places. So don't be afraid of leaving it a little loose. And it's going to feel uncomfortable and your messaging is going to feel mushy. But it's okay. You have to trust the process that once I get a dozen or so customers in, I'm going to start seeing the patterns in that. Then I can tighten it up and then I can go run it that side. So I needed to get that point out. But, but no, go you, ahead. No, you did great. That's great because I, I want to add to what you just said now as well. <laughs> um, loving this conversation. But you know, I've, you know, came up on the show many like ages ago, but it's like, you know, no business plan has survived first contact with the customer. So I suppose it's the same thing as saying right. no positioning thesis also has survived, you know, first contact with the customer. It does. Right? Like I can tell you stories where we were so wrong. Like, like Please, I worked go. on this product that we thought it was th- this first product I ever worked on. We thought this thing was desktop productivity software. So th- this was a company, we were already making a bunch of money selling compilers. So we sold a, a, a C++ compiler. And uh, this is like ages, ages ago, 20 years ago. And uh, we were making all kinds of money there, but then Microsoft got in the market and we're like, oh crap, we're going to die. <laughs> so we so we started looking for other products to launch. And so there were, a, there were a handful of products that were sort of candidates. And so we had this one and, you know, we were super techie people selling to really techie people. And what we thought it was, was like a, a desktop productivity software, kind of like an Excel replacement, except it was an actual SQL database. Now, back then, actual SQL database, you had, to, you had to put it on a server. It took all kinds of resources. You actually needed an admin to install it. Like SQL databases were big monolith software. This thing was like a little clicky, clicky, three clicks, put it on your, put it on your PC, and it just runs. Mm. But, it, but it had SQL. And so we're super geeky. We're like, that's what everyone wants. SQL queries in a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> so, of course. So you know. we, so of course. So that was the theory. So that was the thesis. We're going to sell and we could sell it to our, our same user base, right? Back to the people buying our compilers. Great. So we sold it just like the compiler. We priced it at a hundred bucks or something, put it on the website, sold directly to customers, um, launched it out, big, you know, big marketing plan around it. And we sold like a couple of her copies. It was a bit of a dud. <laughs> so, we, so, so, so we're going to kill it. You know, we, get, we put it out there. It didn't work. We're going to kill it. My job, I was super junior, brand new at the company. My job was I got to call all the people that have bought it and find out what they're doing with it. And the idea was we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see, are they going to be really mad when we announce that we're killing it? (laughs) That was the job. And I spent a month calling these people and it was hysterical. So my goal was to do a hundred calls. So I, I called and called and called first 20 people I talked to. I got the exact same response. I was like, hey, I'm calling from this company and we sold you this thing. And they're like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, I, I got it right here on the spreadsheet. You made a hundred bucks for it back in January. And they're like, oh, that, yeah, no, we didn't use that. Yeah, we, we, we messed around with it for a day. <laughs> so I did like 20 calls like that. I'm like, okay, we're going to kill this thing. No problem. Nobody's even using it. But then I got a customer who was super excited about it. And the guy's like, oh, my God, this thing is great. And I'm like, really? What are you doing with it? And he says, well, the cool thing about it is like a little SQL database. We didn't even think of it as a database. We thought of it as like productivity software. He's like, it's a little SQL database I can put on a, on a PC. But what's really cool is 
it fits on a laptop. Now you got to think this is 20 years ago, laptops had hardly any memory, hardly any storage. Like they were kind of like crappy phones. <laughs> so he's like, you can actually put this on a laptop. He says, so what I've got is I wrote this little program and now I got all my salespeople can go and take an order in the field. Used to be, they took the order on pen and paper, then they came back and then they put it into the database. But this thing is like a little SQL database. I can actually take the order there when they come back to the office and plug it in, it syncs with the Oracle database and everything just works. And, and we found like our sales reps are double or, you know, our sales are doubled and we took all these mistakes out of the system. It's amazing. Like it's actually transformed our business. Hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Worst feedback. So I went on and so I, so eventually I did a hundred calls and 94 of the people I talked to weren't even using the thing. Didn't even remember they bought it. Hmm. And six customers loved it and were doing some form of, I'm putting it on a mobile device, I'm, I'm letting my people do something in the field, and then I'm bringing it back and I'm syncing to an SQL database at headquarters. Six out of 90, out of 100, right? Mm. So I go back to the executive team. Now, if I had just done a survey, right, and said, hey, do you love this thing or not? What would my survey results have said? The overwhelming majority of people, 95% think this thing is, is stupid. And I would have just killed it. But because I actually talked to them and I knew what they were doing, I could see the pattern in the happy people. Get it? Pattern mm-hmm. in the happy people. Mm-hmm. So then I went back to the, to the exec team. I'm junior, right? And I'm like, okay, good news, bad news, depending on your definition of good news, bad news. Uh, good news is if you want to kill it, there's only six people that are going to be really unhappy. Bad news is those six people are going to freak out <laughs> because, and then I explain what they're doing. So then we got this. So now we got a choice. We can either kill the thing or we can go chase this weird use case that we never thought about that had nothing to do with our positioning thesis for this thing and see if maybe there's a business there. And so we made the decision to test it. So, you know, think about it. It's a completely different sale. We had to hire a sales rep. You're now going to a company and trying to sell instead of just onesie, twosie copies of this. I'm going to sell you 100 copies, one for every person on on your sales team. And so we hired a sales rep. We changed the pricing. We did a little bit to the product, but not too much. Went out and it turns out the thing's selling like crazy. And so all of a sudden, the thing is selling like crazy. We're adding another sales rep, another sales rep, another sales rep. Company's growing like mad. We end up getting acquired by this big database company in the Valley called Sybase. So Sybase acquires us. Um, I become the head of marketing for this, for this division. And by the time I left there, a, a couple of years later, we're doing hundreds of millions of revenue. What? <laughs> That's crazy. On a little thing. We thought was nothing. So this is how wrong we can be. And this is why it's important to not get too stuck on your positioning thesis, because occasionally you get out there and the market tells you something that you could, you would never have thought of. Mm. You would have never imagined it. Like, like never in a thousand years would we have thought, oh, our desktop product activity thing, it's actually an embeddable database for mobile devices. That's what it is. <laughs> Jeez. So, so this is why this stuff is important. You can't get too hung up on. And again, like, what was did we create a new market category there? Well, you know, were there any other embeddable databases for mobile devices out there? No. But do I know what a database is? Yes. 
So I sub-segmented the database market. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, there's an emerging sub-segment in the database market. It's for mobile devices. What does an embeddable database for mobile devices look like? Well, it looks really different from the Oracle thing you got back on your server, doesn't it? So that's not like, is that category creation? I don't call it that. Is it category design? If you want to call it that, I, I, like all I think that is, is good positioning. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I know exactly who my competitors are. I know exactly what makes me different. I, I deeply understand the value that I deliver for customers. And more importantly, which customers really care about that value. Once you understand that, then you got the recipe for success right there. Mm, amazing story. Um, you kind of maybe preempted my the answer to my question already, but uh, I'll give it a stab anyway. Um, so, um, but I love I love what you said there. I think what you what you guys did was actually category design slash creation anyway, because for me it's kind of like it's an idea that you own in the mind of your customer. So if you're the one that owns that, we did. But it would have been different if we couldn't hang off the word database. Yes, right? I hear you. So if I if I didn't get to start with database, if I said what we are is an embeddable flu flummer for mobile devices. You'd be like, what's a flu flummer? I'd still be in the same thing where I'm like an embeddable what for mobile devices. Are you hardware? Is it a chip? Are you hardware or software? Oh, your software. Okay. So it's like an operating system. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. It's memory management. Is that what it is? But I get to say database is my shorthand, right? Oh, I know what a database is. And I can imagine what an embeddable database for mobile devices looks like. Yeah. It's like a database. It has a really low footprint. It has a, but it's a database, so therefore it runs SQL. Mm. Like I assume a lot of things because I get to use that shorthand, which is database. That's the power of niching out an existing category. I don't have to explain all that stuff to you. I don't have to say, oh, it's software, it's not hardware. Oh, it's this, it's not that. Oh, it's this, and it has SQL, and it has whatever. I, my shorthand version for that is it's a database, man. You know what a database is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I just just before I go change sub. Uh, like maybe change gears for a second. Um, how sure. how important is the use of analogy then when getting your positioning idea across? Well, so here's the interesting thing. Like, you know, first you got to define your positioning and then you have to figure out how do I communicate that positioning, right? So it's it's more than just declaring the market category usually. So it's more than just saying, I'm an embeddable database for mobile devices. Um, It's, I've got to actually make it clear in your head what I'm doing. And so often when the best way to communicate positioning is kind of a, a, a narrative that says, look, here's the problem, customer. You got this problem. And here's how you're trying to solve it today. And here's why that doesn't work. Mm. And that leads to kind of an insight that says, you know what, if we really want to solve this problem and knowing what we know about what works and doesn't work in the market today, you know what we actually need? We need a solution that ticks all these boxes. Do you agree or disagree? Now, this is what I call expressing your point of view on the market. So what I'm doing there is I'm, I'm actually not pitching my stuff. I'm pitching my point of view on the market that says, we need a thing that does this. Mm. Now, if I take my example of the embeddable database for mobile devices, right? I don't even get to saying that's what it is until after I've got you around to my point of view. So I'm sitting across 
from, in this case, it's uh, the head of sales and the IT manager for the head of sales. And I'm like, hey, here's your problem. You got reps out in the field and they can't take an order. They come back into the office and then they got to put it in the put it in the order entry thing and then they make a mistake or they leave something out. Customer's mad. They got to go back to the customer. They got to come back and forth. You're losing all kinds of money, all kinds of time. This is a pain in the neck, right? Right. Customer says right. And you're like, you know what? What if they had the ability to take the order on this fancy new device called a laptop? <laughs> what if you gave a laptop and they could actually go out in the field and take the order on that? That would be good. Yeah, that would be good. But the IT manager is like, yeah, that'd be good. But dude, my order, my order system's on Oracle. And I'm like, yeah, you know what you need? You need something that goes on a laptop that can communicate with Oracle. So it, so it has SQL, but it's easy to install because you're going to install these hundreds of these things. So it's got to be two click install. It's got to be super light footprint, but it's got to have SQL so that it communicates with your Oracle thing. Right. Now, if you're the customer and you say, right at this point, I got you. Then I'm like, good. Cause that's what we are. We got an embeddable database for mobile devices. Here's what it does. It enables you. Here's the value, right? The value it delivers is it enables you to have your sales reps go out and transact business with the customer at the customer's point of work and still maintain your database integrity with your Oracle database back in the office. And it does that make it it's super easy to install, super easy to manage, doesn't take up a lot of resources, you, you, you runs on a crummy laptop, any crummy laptop you got, it runs on. It's amazing. Here's the proof we can say what we can do, what we say we can do, because, yay, we rolled it out to Xerox and they have 18,000 people. And we did that rollout in six months. It's going to be amazing. You guys should buy from us. In my opinion, and when we're talking about how do we communicate that, if I'm in a sales situation, the best way to communicate that is to start with my point of view on why a solution like this deserves to exist. And then what are the, if you do believe that, that it deserves to exist, what are the characteristics of a perfect solution to solve this problem? Hmm. Which is totally different than me just walking up and saying I'm an embeddable database for mobile devices. I have a, I, so what, why, why do I, why do I want one of those? <laughs> so if I'm trying to communicate positioning, I got to weave it into a sales narrative. That's kind of like for my target buyers, which I know from my positioning, right? I know who my target buyers are. For my target buyers, this is the challenge they're wrestling with. This is how they're trying to solve that problem today. And here's why it stinks. And here's what the characteristics of a perfect solution should be. Sold. If I can, if I can align you with that, then I say, great, this is what we are. And this is the value we deliver. Here's the features we have that enable that value. Here's the proof we can deliver on the value we say we can deliver on. And then I ask for the sale. That's it. We're done. We're sold. <laughs> yeah, well. I so mean, in my mind, these are actually two separate things. I got to get the positioning straight. Then I got to figure out how do I translate that positioning into a good sales pitch? Rad. Very cool. I got a problem for you. I've got a problem I have currently. So we're launching um, a marketplace called firesalehardware.com, firesalehardware.com. You can actually go there now. Um, it's launching okay. on Friday, <clears throat> but um, essentially it's solving an H-Doc problem for uh, suppliers of technology products, laptops, printers, blah, blah, blah. 
and the issue there is right. they have they have between thirty and and ninety days to sell a new product. Otherwise, they carry that inventory, and the problem is huge because stock. Um, well, obviously, technology moves fast, right? So they need to move what they right. have. Otherwise, it sits there and it ages, and the more it ages, it becomes a bigger, bigger problem on the P and L. So it's a working capital problem. So anyway, so we've got we've just we've got about a dozen distributors signed up for the launch, and we've, we're going to have the largest aged hardware marketplace in the Middle East and Africa <laughs> by Friday, awesome. which is awesome. <clears throat> but it piques my. I've been trying to wrestle with the the marketing side, right? The the who is the customer side because everybody needs a laptop. So how do you? Well, this uh, is it. This, this is, is it. So what you have is the two-sided marketplace problem, right? Yeah. So the two-sided marketplace problem is the positioning is different for each side. Mm. So you've, and most good, successful two-sided marketplaces, one side of the marketplace is easy because the value is obvious and, and, it, and you need one side to be able to work, to be able to focus on the other side. So you've got the supply side of the marketplace figured out. Mm. Great value prop for these folks. They don't want to carry this inventory, whatever, whatever, easy. Okay, so now you got all this stuff, but now you got to figure out the positioning over here. Yeah. And positioning over here is completely different, right? You're solving a different problem, you're doing whatever. So, what I would start with then is again, I think there's a positioning thesis. You could write it down at this point that says, all right, um, the, the, you know, the value you're delivering here, your thesis might be, well, the value is I'm going to sell you this you know, brand new hardware for super cheap, but, and, and, and I can get it to you right now, but it's a, but it's kind of a flash thing. Like it's, it's there and it's gone. It's only there for any days and then you got to move it. You know, you got to, it's, it's there and it's gone. So then, then you got to ask yourself the question, who cares a lot about that? Who needs that? Well, who it, needs that? It's so the, and so is it individual people or is it groups? Yeah, it's is businesses. It businesses. If it was businesses, what kind of what kind of businesses? Yeah. What are the characteristics of a business that makes them really want to buy from you? Yeah, we what, where we landed in our positioning thesis is, and I'll, and I'll warn you, I have exactly two minutes until yeah, my yeah, next no, calls. okay, cool, <laughs> okay, yeah, no, it's fine, it's fine. I for, you know, forget it. Actually, you know what? You have to come to the website on Friday, guys, to figure out where we landed in our positioning thesis. <laughs> but I think, that, but I think that's it. And then again, I would encourage you to think about it's a thesis, right? And you might be wrong, so you can keep it kind of loose at the beginning, but then keep a very close eye on who loves you a lot. And can you start to recognize the patterns on that and worry about tightening it up later once you start to see those patterns? All right, cool. Well, that's fantastic. I'm going to ask you one more if question though. Sense. Yeah, it does. Why do you do what you do, April? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Why does this stuff <laughs> light, light you up of all people? <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I, you know, so early in my career, that example that I gave you of this little database thing that we repositioned, we thought it was an Excel spreadsheet, we repositioned it to a database. That felt like magic to me. Like, like it felt like magic. It was like we had a thing. It was a dog. <laughs> no one wanted it. And we like did something that had nothing to do with the product and turned it into this thing that, that is a raging success. And so, so that was my first experience with positioning. And I was like, oh man, when it works, it's magic. So that hooked me on the idea of I got to unlock the secret to that magic. And, and so, which is, which is 
which is what got me way down this rat hole of, you know, where I am now, which is like the super expert in positioning, because literally nobody has sat around and thought about this stuff as much as me. I, I've probably worked with 150 clients now in my consulting business. No one has repositioned as many things as I have. Mm-hmm. And every time I work with somebody that we get to something cool, there's a moment of that feeling of like, oh, yeah, now we got it. <laughs> And that is an amazing feeling. And so it's pretty fun to be able to do that as a deep expert that's thought about this stuff for a long time, to be able to help people get to that moment is pretty, it's pretty cool. Amazing. April Dunford, thank you for being in the hot seat today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah, likewise, likewise. All right, April, let you go. Go and do your meetings. Go do, go do positioning. <laughs> sorry. Okay, sorry. Cool. We were, I was Thank worried you. we were going to go over, and I'm like, oh my God, my next meeting no, no, is going to be good. freaking out. But, it's all good. Uh, all right. But look, but it's been amazing. Thanks so for having me. Let yeah. me know when it drops, and I'll share it around on the socials. Yeah. No, we'll do. Thanks, April. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Good cheers. Luck. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Map Round Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're In A Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com